0: Story in Genesis chapter twenty nine is uh, besides maybe the story of Joseph is one of the most scandalous stories in the book of uh, Genesis because of of what happens here and the conniving that happens and really we've been in a in a, a continual spiral of uh, conniving and, and deception for a while now in various ways and and different plots that happen and a deception that happens in storyline but uh, this one a lot of people know just because it's kind of a love story mixed with a love triangle i mean it's it's a good steamy romance novel type stuff so uh, we um, we get all of that in this story as we look at the story of rachel and leah and jacob's uh, deception or the deception of jacob by his uh, father-in-law laban today so Uh, Let's read together Genesis chapter 29. We'll start in verse 21 and go through the end of the chapter, and then we'll pray and get into the sermon. Genesis chapter 29, starting in verse 21, God's Word says, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said... It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. Then the Lord saw that Leah was hated. He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For when, uh, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, For now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son, and said, "This time I will praise the Lord." Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, Lord, we know that your word is truth. That you desire for us through this this most deceptive and and twisted tale to know something about you. And so, Father, I pray that you would use even this uh, this most Uh, difficult of of stories to reprove us and to correct us to change our hearts that we might desire you and to uh, drive us towards dependency on you and your provision for us Lord we know that we are by our sins because of our sins we are afflicted and downcast Lord we are separated from you and even uh, you the most holy and loving God hates our sin because of uh, what it does to us but yet lord we know that through jesus christ we have been brought near to you so father help us to see in this story our own affliction and through that affliction to care for the affliction of others and to desire to care for those who are downtrodden and outcast father give us understanding Direct me that I might say what needs to be said and that you would take away those words that would distract or lead astray. I pray all that would be done for your glory. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Now, I know uh, we've been talking about uh, for the last several weeks that we've been here all the strife and turmoil that's been going on in our country. And and in watching the news and uh, listening to the radio and podcasts and all, you hear all sorts of slogans and phrases that are thrown around. And it's difficult to keep up with all the slogans and phrases and words that are used and what they mean. Uh, I mean, you hear them all the time, Black Lives Matter, defund the police, make America great again, don't tread on me. These are thrown around, slogans are thrown around, and they're meant to represent some greater ideal. And and often they do have some great ideal that they represent that the, the adherents want us to adopt, but the slogan tends to often oversimplify the broader beliefs and concerns behind the movement that uh, uses that slogan. One one such concept that has been thrown around that I'm I'm pretty sure you've probably heard, but it often gets hidden behind the slogans that the, of the groups that adhere to this. The one such concept is the concept of. Social justice. I don't know if you've heard that phrase used in interviews and such these days, but social justice is the stated purpose, uh, especially behind the Black Lives Matter movement. And by this, they mean that they want the systems of our society to have more equity towards black and brown people. Now, what you may not realize, though, is even though this is in the news lately, this has actually been a hotly debated issue within evangelicalism for the last three or four years. Actually, the Southern Baptist Convention, of which we're a part, has hotly debated the issue of social justice for at least three years and the reason there's been this great debate and uh there has actually been a significant split that has developed between evangelicals and even within our convention uh, not an open split but a, a a more cold war type split i guess you could say is that there are people on one side that say that the gospel is essentially about social justice it's about caring for the poor and the oppressed and that is really the, the message or the main thrust of the gospel. One side says that and the other side of e, the evangelical movement says that no, the gospel is primarily about a call to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And this divide has become even more pronounced as these recent protests have gone on, and the Black Lives Matter movement has adopted this idea of social justice. So that evangelicals are torn between supporting the idea of uh, of equality and uh, and and seeking restoration and making sure that the gospel is rightly proclaimed. So the di- desire of Social justice, or the desire for social justice, whether within the church or out on the street, betrays a deep need that we have to be rescued from our current situation, from our current state. In calling for social justice, the BLM protesters and the evangelicals that defend this idea of social justice are pointing out the fact that man, way too often, treats his fellow man with horrible indignity. And regardless of whether you, uh, where you stand politically, you have to admit that's true. Oftentimes we, whether individually or even as a group, oftentimes we present or we treat other human beings with a sense of indignity. And we've seen it as we've studied the book of Genesis. All the way back in the very beginning, God created Adam and Eve to have dominion over this good earth and to subdue it to the will of God. And that responsibility was, in effect, to rule as king and queen over God's good creation. And we saw that right away they failed to bring God's rule to bear over creation by allowing the serpent to speak lies about God and to lure them into rebellion. And because of this sin, men and women were dethroned and cursed. That curse... The curses that Adam and Eve received wove strife into the very fabric of this fallen world. So there was affliction from Satan. There was, because of this curse, there was to be affliction from Satan and his demons. There was to be pain in childbearing. The most beautiful thing that ever existed on earth, the birth of a child, is now a painful situation because of this curse. Strife. There's to be strife in the marriage relationship. And even the good earth from which Adam was made was, would resist his efforts until the day that it finally swallowed him up in death. Now, this affliction and strife continued from Cain to Lamech to the people of Noah's day. And even within the chosen line of Abraham, we still find strife and affliction. Abraham and Sarah committed adultery in order to have the son that God had promised. Sarah abused her servant Hagar and her stepson Ishmael to the point that Hagar is willing to risk the desert to flee the cruelty of Sarah. And we've just seen the strife within the next generation as Isaac and Rebekah pitted their sons against each other by playing favorites, and Rebekah and Jacob came up with a a scheme to steal the birthright and the blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. And yet, even with all of this strife, God is still merciful to Jacob. We saw in Genesis chapter 28 that God reveals himself to Jacob and extends the promise that he first gave to Abraham that he would bless him and that he would bless the world through him. And in chapter 29, Jacob continues on his way to his uncle Laban so that he might escape the wrath of Esau and also find a wife from his own kin. He comes to a well in Haran and there he meets Rachel and it's this, this romantic scene where he's willing to and somehow able to move a, a one ton stone off of a well in order to have, time, have more time with Rachel. He is so infatuated with her that he commits to working for her father for seven years in order to earn her, her hand in marriage. And so that's where we pick up in this text that we've just read. And there are three aspects of this story that I want to highlight for you today. First of all, we find in verse 21 that on the day that Jacob completes his promise, his seven year servitude, he rushes to Laban to demand his wife. He is so excited. He is uh, counting down the days to the point that as soon as he finishes his work for the day, he gets his sandals on and he runs to Laban and he says, all right, I'm done It's time for my wife. And so Laban throws this extravagant wedding feast and he gets Jacob good and drunk. In fact, the word used there for feast is drinking party. So he literally devotes this whole wedding feast to getting Jacob drunk. And then in the middle of the night, he sends in his older daughter Leah instead of the daughter that he had promised to consummate the marriage. Jacob wakes up up in the morning and realizes that he's been duped, and so he runs to complain to his father-in-law. In In this unfortunate story, I want you to notice the poetic justice that Jacob receives. There's really a, a great deal of play on the things that have already happened. Notice that Laban tells him that in his country, the firstborn receives the honor before the secondborn. In other words, what you did over there with your daddy ain't done here. We honor the firstborn before the second. Jacob, remember, used deception to supersede the natural order of things and to steal the birthright and blessing from his older brother. In fact, the tactics that Laban uses... Here are similar to the tactics that Jacob used just a chapter or two over, or actually two chapters over, with his father and his brother. Remember back when Jacob steals the birthright from Esau, Esau comes in hungry, desiring food, says he's about to die, and Jacob bargains with him to get his birthright before he gives him food. And also, in his deception of his father, Jacob uses the appetite of his father to steal the blessing. So now Jacob comes panting for his wife and Laban uses his lustful appetite to deceive him. Also in the deception of Isaac, Jacob uses Isaac's blindness, his old age and his blindness against him. And here Jacob is blinded by his drunkenness and the darkness of the tent so that he cannot see this deception notice in this that jacob has received the blessing and the mercy of god 20 chapter 28 is this great gracious act of god that he would extend the blessing to him and yet still he is dealing with the consequences of his sin now, this is important for us to note, brothers and sisters, because oftentimes we can feel as though we aren't saved or we haven't truly received salvation because we still deal with the with the consequences of the life we lived before Christ. Or even in Christ, our, we deal with the consequences of our sins that we commit even now. And it's important to understand that we can still face the earthly consequences of our sins, even as we enjoy the grace and the blessings of God in this life. Some afflictions that we face in this world are brought on by the consequences of our sins. Uh, marriage strife or, or a broken home or relationships between our father or our parents or our siblings They can still continue even after we are saved and they are the consequences often of our own sins. Yet even with all of those earthly consequences, you can still live confidently in the Lord knowing that your position with God has changed from one of outcast to one of child. Do not let the consequences of the life you lived before or even the consequences of the sins that you commit now to define you, that ultimately your definition is made by who you are in Christ, not the consequences of the sin that you face. The second aspect of this text, text that I want you to notice is the strife that is created as a result of this deception. Now that Laban has gotten what he wanted, he allows Jacob to marry Rachel as, uh, uh, on the exchange for another seven years. And there's a sad little note in the middle of verse verse thirty that I want you to notice. It says Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. Now this spiraling tragedy of deception has led to yet another broken relationship, and yet even in all of this strife, God is still merciful. Verse 31 tells us that God saw the affliction of Leah, and he had mercy on her by making her fertile. The one who is despised by her husband is blessed by God with four children. We find from all of the Old Testament that God favors the afflicted. In Exodus chapter 3, he hears the affliction of his people in slavery in Egypt. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, he hears the prayers of barren Hannah and causes her to conceive a son named Samuel. In the Psalms, repeatedly, as we saw in our first psalm that we read today and also in in psalms like Psalm 25, verse 18, the writers often praise God because He sees and saves those who are afflicted. Finally, the last thing that I want you to see from this text is this blessing of God brings Leah from the pit of sorrow to the height of praise. You may have noticed that the first three children that Leah has received names that look towards her husband. She hopes that her husband will love her or that he will be attached to her, and so she names her children correspondingly to those hopes. But with her fourth son, Judah... She simply names him celebration. The name Judah means to celebrate because she says she wants to praise God for his mercy to her. Though her husband still despised her, though her husband still shunned her, God was enough. And she had learned through her affliction and through God's mercy to her in her affliction to praise him In spite of her situation if you do if you just zoom out just a little bit and look at the broader story of Israel what you find is that the story of Israel is one of God's favor on the affliction uh, on the afflicted remember Abraham and, and Sarah they were afflicted with barrenness they were unable to have children but God chose them to be the father of this great nation Remember the stories of the people of Israel being helplessly enslaved in Egypt and yet God brought them forth by his mighty hand. Remember the stories in the books of Judges and Joshua where the the Philistines harangued them in the land of promise and yet God would bring forth Judges and ultimately uh, the, the, um, the kings of Israel to finally defeat their enemies. Remember that in the story of the exile, they are taken away and yet they are brought back by God's remembrance of them. Yet even though they are the afflicted that are chosen by God, they still acted with selfishness and they despised their fellow man. By the time of Jesus, Israel had solemnized the act of despising one's neighbor. The religious leaders uh, attributed birth defects, for example, like blindness and lameness to the sins of the parents or even the sins of the children that were born in their womb. So that a child could be judged to be a sinner because he is lame. And so he must have done something wrong in the womb to merit that sin uh, or merit, merit that affliction. They despised whole groups of people like shepherds and tax collectors and foreigners, declaring them ceremonially unclean. And yet Jesus was born as the lowliest of men. And when starting his ministry, Luke records in Luke chapter 4 verse 18 that he chose to read these words from Isaiah to announce his kingdom. Isaiah, he reads from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor in John chapter 13 he would assemble his disciples in the upper room for the Passover and there he would take a towel and a bowl of water and as the lowliest of servants he would wash their feet saying that he did not come to be served but to serve and even in his crucifixion, he would hang naked on a cross, despised by all who saw him. Yet even with all of the affliction of the world on his back, he would, vi- he would be victorious over sin and death. And when he rose again from the dead, he brought forth a new kingdom and a new humanity. This new humanity, which is his church, is led by his spirit. And in this new humanity, he has brought down every dividing wall so that his church is made up of the rich and the poor, made up of the slave and the free, the Gentile and the Jew, the male and the female. And as Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, we are all one in Christ. As God's church, the kingdom is manifest in and through us as we live for Christ in this world. And so James says in James chapter 1 verse 27 that the purest of religions is to care for the widow and orphan in their time of affliction. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 1 through 3 says that we are to manifest our faith in Christ through our care for the most marginalized like the stranger and the prisoner. Just like Leah, God has had mercy on us. And because God has had mercy on us through the pouring out of His love for us and the sacrifice of his resur- and, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus, that mercy should motivate us to praise Him. It should motivate us to worship. We praise Him by serving Him. And we serve Him by caring for those who are the least among us. The gospel of Jesus Christ should motivate us to first bring others to know that same gospel. To address the point that I made earlier about the Southern Baptist Convention being in a little bit of an argument over the the relationship of the gospel to social justice. The problem I am afraid of with the the current group that argues for social justice being part of the gospel is that it might overshadow the necessity of repenting and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is that Jesus Christ has lived the perfect life that you could not live, died the death that you deserved, and risen again for your justification. That is the gospel. And the right response to the gospel is to repent and believe in that promise. But that response also includes a change in our minds and a change in our hearts that causes us to view people differently. And so if we have been shown mercy by the blood of Jesus Christ, what ought we to do to other people? We should show them mercy as well. If we have been shown grace, then we should show grace. If we have been served, then we should serve. The gospel is about repentance and belief, but that repentance and belief leads to a care for those who need to know the gospel and need mercy just like we have received mercy. And so may we be about that business as we go out into this world and serve our Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the example of Leah and for the fact that she was despised and rejected by men, but loved and blessed by you. Father, may we remember that we have been despised and rejected because of our sins, but ultimately we are brought brought near to you through the blood of your Son. And because of that restoration that we have through your Son, may we then Desire that restoration and uh, newness for other people. And may we see them not as the world sees them, despised and, and hated, but may we see them as a potential son or daughter of your kingdom. And may we love them as you love them. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.